Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast celebrating the unique strengths and creativity, so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia's website, wicd.org. And there you'll find out the latest information about a film we're producing called Decoders, a cutting-edge documentary that objectively and fearlessly explores fundamental questions about how we learn. To support the making of this film, find out more at WICD.org. And now, Dyslexics Wanted. Today's guest is Steve Wilkins. He's the head of school at the Carroll School, with two locations in Lincoln and Waltham, Massachusetts. The Carroll School empowers kids with language-based learning disabilities, such as dyslexia, to become academically skilled students who are strong self-advocates and confident lifelong learners prepared to enter other academic settings. Steve's background includes a Bachelor of Arts from Colgate University in Hamilton, New York, Mass General Hospital, Certificate in Language Remediation. He attended Brandeis University, Harvard Graduate School of Education, the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, and as you'll hear, has a long association with the Carroll School. So now, my chat with Steve Wilkins. Well, the head of school, Steve Wilkins, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the podcast and you're a pretty busy guy with a lot of students on two campuses to deal with and take care of, but really appreciate you your taking the time. How long have you been associated with the Carroll School now? Um, in this stint as head of school, it's been 12 years, but I actually came to Carroll right after college. My mom was teaching here, and so I, uh, I, I began right out of college and left and ran a couple other schools, but mm. big magnet over the top of Carroll School for me. <laughs> sort of the family business for you. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Well, that's great. School's got a national reputation, well-earned, and you've had a lot of success in a very strange area because for so many decades in American education, the issues of dyslexia and learning problems were, were ignored. How would you describe the overall mission of the Carroll School? Yeah, it's interesting that um, in the late 1960s, um, as I think part of the civil rights movement, a number of schools around the country for children with dyslexia um, sprung up, and Carroll School was one of those. And we like to think of it as being part of a, a civil rights movement for people who learn differently. And so um, the early stages of Carroll were, uh, is it possible to have a school for children with dyslexia, children who struggle to learn how to read, and make school a rewarding, enriching, positive experience for them, uh, where they do acquire reading skills, but they also learn that they're intelligent people who have a different way of looking at the world, and that's a good thing. And so for 50 years, that's been mm. Carroll School's focus. Of course, like anything in life, I'm sure evolved in terms of methods. For instance, individual students and their needs, how are those met? Are they met in a, in a large group, a small group, one-on-one, -on -one, or is it uh, flexible? It has um, changed over the years uh, dramatically. Back in the olden days, like 1967, um, diagnosis wasn't all that common, wasn't all that accurate. Uh, we just didn't have a lot of the um, technological tools nor the neuroscience. So we've watched evaluation, what's called neuropsychological or uh, psychoeducational evaluation, evolve. And the more the quality of the profile of the child evolves, the better a school like Carroll is able to respond to what each child most needs. So we've always had um, tiny classes, uh, Eight students would, 
would roughly be maximum for the majority of kids. But a lot of one-to-one work in the phonics and um, what's called morphology, the way language changes when we add components to a word, prefixes and suffixes. That's all been done in very small group, if not tutorial, uh, throughout our history. But as, as we start to get more precise in the diagnosis, we can get more targeted in the intervention. And that brings up the question of the teachers and those who are instructing and helping these children. They and you have to be up to date with the very latest in research, which I would imagine is coming out at a faster clip these days than ever. Right. And, and you couldn't really have a school geographically in a better location than Greater Boston. I grew up in Greater Boston, so maybe I'm a little parochial about that. But all the research that's going on in the universities and hospitals and clinics, um, just within miles of where the school's located, is an enormous advantage. Um, yeah, it. Um, I, I think any school like Carroll that's stagnant and says, well, we've had the same fine program for 50 years, uh, really isn't paying attention to, to the research. That's so much more profound. We know that self-esteem is, is almost a buzzword for everybody in school at any age, but it's extra critical, isn't it, for people who are dealing with a learning disability like dyslexia? Uh, without getting into, into too much of the, of the making of the sausage here, can you talk a little bit about how and, and what you do as teachers and administrators to make certain that the self-esteem is a factor that is taken care of? Right. Uh, it's multifaceted, as you say, but I think two key points are, one, uh, to hire people who have a growth mindset, who believe that their job as a teacher is to take every child uh, to the mountaintop as as far as she or he can go, Uh, that, that it's essential to have that view. My job is to help every child succeed. And so much of that ties into self esteem. And, um, every little victory, um, needs to be recognized. Every, every big victory needs to be celebrated. Um, and so the, the attitude in which kids are educated is, is crucial in building that self-esteem. The, the, other, the other key factor in, in building self-esteem is for children at Carroll to be able to look in a classroom and say, that, child, that boy, that girl doesn't read any better than I do, but that kid's awesome. That kid is a great artist or dancer or a leader or an athlete. And when you're looking at children who are like you um, and, and realize that the people around you are strong and positive and powerful, you start to look in your own mirror and say, I think maybe I'm those things too. And offering all of the, as you say, the opportunities in art, in music, and in theater, and, and also in athletics, I mean, you, you're you a well-rounded organization, not just classroom-based. Am I right? Right. You know, there's a wonderful book called The Dyslexic Advantage um, that was published a few years ago, and it, it's given us the words to describe the other part of what we need to do with children at Carroll. So parents send their children here because they are not reading, they are not succeeding in school, and they're they're bright children. Um, But really the reason parents send kids to us is because their children are so unhappy. So if coming to Carroll was simply working in areas you're weak, I think school would continue to be an unsuccessful, unrewarding, unhappy experience. So we take the dyslexic advantage component and make sure that every day, every child has multiple opportunities 
do things that they're really good at or they're passionate about or they think they're good at or want to become good at. And it, it moves well into STEM, science, technology, engineering, mm. and math. Mm. It moves into the arts. It moves into athletics. It moves into social interaction, service learning, leadership, things like that. So every day you have to have mm. the things you're good at, too. It can't be all remediation. Educators whom I'm close with, the really top-flight educators who love their work, always have a list a mile long of, of graduates and alums who have done super things. It makes you very proud. You must have a very long list, but just an example or two of, off the top of your head, if you don't mind, of recent grads or, or earlier grads and how they've developed thanks to the school. Do you have any off the top? Yeah, we are, um, we are working on our 50th birthday party. Um, which, which will be in the fall of 2017, and collecting alumni stories. And so it starts off with, um, tell us what you're doing today, where are you, where have you been, what's your pathway been? And uh, and then to ask alumni to uh, give a little perspective on what Carol meant to them. So we have recently been collecting so many of these stories. The, the other thing that we've been doing is publishing our college list. So not that college is everything, but college is an indicator of the opportunities that have been opened up as a result of learning how to read and of being at Carroll. And, you know, we ended ninth grade, so something happened to these children in 10th, 11th, and 12th before they went to college. But we just grab credit for it. We just say these <laughs> kids would never have made it to these right. kinds of places. And some of them are the biggest names, most competitive colleges in America. Some of them are um, art schools, design schools, uh, maritime schools, uh, technology, engineering. Um, but uh, we've, we've really been keeping track of these things uh, very, very closely. You know, Steve, you said something that I want to follow up on. And of course, it's, it's part of the mission statement, help, helping children and students learn what it is to be learners, to, to become responsible, active learners. And isn't this something that should be applied to not just those with learning disabilities? Yeah. I mean, there's so many issues with public education and private education, but mainly public in this country, but with folks just not apt at learning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so one of the dyslexic advantages is that our kids have to take a look at themselves very closely and, and understand what they're good at and not so good at and learn how to um, advocate for themselves in their weak areas learn how to have some um, determination and grit to overcome obstacles in their way. And so when many, many of our graduates end up in high school, uh, what we hear is that the teachers and administrators say, we love getting Carroll kids because they know how they learn. They know how to advocate for themselves. They know what they need to be successful, and they are determined to succeed. They, they have been convinced that there's something about working effectively and the quality of their results. So, you know, in a way, we talk about the advantages, and, and I, I think being dyslexic is hard. I, I wouldn't pretend that it was a, a pure gift, but there are small presents within it, and and one of those is uh, you, you become quite an extraordinary mm -hmm. learner because you have to, 
Right. You're right. Yes, everybody would benefit from that, <laughs> but most people don't need to understand that about themselves. Well, you've been celebrating these gifts with these students for years. You haven't been for the whole 50, but the school has. And in the fall of this year, 17, you're going to be celebrating in a big way. If you could wave the proverbial magic wand, I know everyone wants more money to do things with, but uh, what would be a, a wish list for somebody in your position for students with dyslexia in general? What um, Carroll School is working on is, I give you this in a little bit of a historical context. Um, prior to the Civil Rights Movement, um, most dyslexics probably got thrown out of the educational system uh, rather quickly and uh, got into professions, occupations. And um, then with the Civil Rights Movement and the federal law um, in 1975 um, that said, no, you cannot kick people out of the system just because they learn differently. You need to educate them. And that is still the, the federal law. Um, we started providing special education services. And a lot of that was lowering standards and accommodating and sort of saying, well, these kids have trouble with this task, so let's not ask them to do it. The magic wand, the gift for the future, is that uh, educators, uh, our society, parents, would understand that there's so much more we can do to help children. The whole um, understanding of what's going on neuroscientifically as the brain reads, um, there is the ability not to just ignore the disability or accommodate the disability. There's the opportunity to kind of rewire, rebuild pathways mm -hmm. in, in the brain that create really strong students, really strong human beings, really strong readers. And I think our standards are too low um, in, in most schools in America. When you see a, a child who doesn't learn how to read by 10 years old, you sort of throw your hands in the air. And that's, no, there's so mm. much hope. There's so much opportunity. And finally, I can just tell you, you are very enthusiastic about the work you do. And talk a little bit about your staff again, because... Uh, this is an opportunity to pat them on the back if you want to. I mean, it's a challenge to be a teacher anyway. I know I have a daughter who's one, but uh, then you toss in a learning disability or any kind of additional challenge. It's not easy. Talk about your staff, if you will. So our um, hiring criteria really are to find the, the most curious, um, most intellectually um, curious, bright, energetic faculty that we can. And then, and then we just train them like crazy. Unfortunately, there are so few colleges and even graduate schools that, that are training teachers properly to work with children with dyslexia. So we just take it on ourselves, and we are uh, maniacal and obsessive about the training of our faculty. I think that every June, um, principals and heads of school get up in front of graduation audiences and say, and we have the finest faculty anywhere which I always think, how could that possibly be true, that everybody has the <laughs> finest faculty anywhere? What, what I tend to say is we have the best trained, uh, most skilled faculty anywhere um, because our, our teachers and tutors work so hard at understanding what it takes to help children with dyslexia. Wow. So, you know, Friday afternoons, we are in what we call everyone at one. Every one of us is an adult learner um, on Friday afternoon. Um, and so th this, is the, this is the key. Um, a lot of research says the number one factor in student success is what teachers know and what they're able to do in their classrooms. And our teachers know a ton. 
they're so connected to the results that their students get that when a student thrives, I think teachers um, are able to say, I did that. I partnered with that child. I, I was instrumental in their success. And uh, just so close to the, the results of their labor. It's an amazing group of people. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes to share with us the mission and the success and also the uh, the ongoing desire to be even better at the Carroll School, which, by the way, on the web is Carroll with two R's, two L's, C-A-R-R-O-L-L school.org, two locations in Lincoln and Waltham, Massachusetts. We've been talking with the head of school, Steve Wilkins. Steve, thank you so much for your time and uh, continued success. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our website, WICD.org. And there you'll learn more about how you can support the documentary film Decoders, which is currently in production. We welcome guest or topic suggestions for this podcast. Dyslexics Wanted is available on all major platforms, including Apple, and is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a great day.